BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler. I am the host, the star, and the namesake. Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow with the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Plenty to talk about. There's always, as long as Joe Biden's president, as long as Donald Trump's being indicted, as long as America is on the brink of a civilizational collapse, Victor, there's always something to talk about. And today we should begin the this episode by picking up a, a conversation that I understand you and Sammy talked about in another recording. And that's this um tablet magazine interview of uh David Garrow, uh Obama biographer, a young Obama biographer, and it's turned up some really interesting news nuggets and and also I think the fact that some discrepancies in Obama's life have been come to be of total non-interest to the major media. We cannot expose the, the great and holy one. So, Victor, we'll get to that. Um, I just want to mention also today our our uh, episode is, or edition is, is sponsored by our good friends at AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, and I'll get to that in a little, little bit. And first, we will get to your thoughts on the Garrow uh, tablet magazine interview and we'll do that right after these important messages professional welder shana ford used vr training developed by forge fx to hone her skills as a welder the more time that you spend practicing it that's what separates a good welder from a great welder vr training can help students like shana repeatedly practice specific skills Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Uh, Victor, I, I'm happy to learn that you and the great Sammy Wink uh, touched on this uh, tablet magazine interview. You know, I not to plug up front my, the Civil Thoughts newsletter I do every week, but I, I don't know how I came across tablet 
magazine, online uh, journal. It's 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 Jewish uh, in in its interests, except it's it's more than that. It cares about deeper and broader things. But it's really a great publication. Always something really interesting in there. So I I often put it in civil thoughts, and then see that this interview. Uh, with uh, David Garrow, the biographer, he wrote uh, the FBI and Martin Luther King Jr. bearing the cross, but he also wrote in 2017 a biography of Barack Obama called Rising Star, and it didn't seem to get that much attention. But one thing that's come out of it, Victor, is that what he found out at the time when he was writing the book about young Obama clashes uh, with Obama's history of himself in his book, um, uh, what the hell was it? Oh, Dreams of My Father. So, so I, I, I found this uh, article is a is a uh, and interview really interesting, and I think it, let me you can talk about whatever more on this you'd like to talk to, uh, about, Victor. But there's one thing gets me, or I'd like to hear your thoughts on. I think our listeners would is about current Obama, right? There's a man, the only American president ever, other than Woodrow Wilson, to to live in Washington after his um, he left the White House. And, you know, Wilson had to. He, he couldn't go anywhere. He was dying. He, he was a stroke victim. But Obama is clearly there, clearly has set up his, uh, you know, third term um, operation through you know, Joe Biden. And it seems of great disinterest to the to the media as do many other um, aspects of Barack Obama's life. Let's not report the truth because, you know, do we want to um, untie the fable? Anyway, Victor, great piece, I thought. I want to recommend Tablet Magazine in general to to our, our, our listeners. Your thoughts, my friend. Yeah, it's a very good magazine. I think I misspoke when we referenced it with Sammy, and I said Neil Cazadori has an editor. He's the editor of Mosaic, another great magazine and it's kind of strange that both are jewish uh focused magazines and they came out about the same time and they're very well edited and run but mosaic uh tablet i think is edited by uh, newhouse and her husband i think was the interlocutor david samuels in this in this particular interview and he's written you know for the he's a man of the left he's written for atlantic and new yorker on things like rap music. I think he was the one, remember that uh, damning interview of Ben Rhodes where he got Ben Rhodes to say that these they fed all of these false narratives right. about the Iran deal. And he said, these young people know nothing. And he really derided the the left-wing yeah. reporting, how easy they were to be befuddle. Anyway, it's a long interview with David Garrow. And what's interesting about it is I don't know how to frame it, but it's almost like I told you so. And by that, I mean, he finished the book. The book was written over eight or nine years, and it came out in 2017. But there had been preliminary previews of it. And when people heard of some of the things that were in it, uh, such as Barack Obama, his memoir, Dreams from My Father, was a complete fantasy it was a work of fiction they didn't like it and they didn't like him earlier because he had reported on the underside of the personal life of martin luther king not as essential but incidentally and 
So the left had kind of disowned him. And so now, six years after the book is out, he gets a let, uh, interview with David Samuels, who's kind of like a Matt Taibbi, not quite there yet, but a man of the left. It's increasingly apparently bothered by woke. But my point is this, is that he's kind of saying, well, I know the left ignored this book, but in the last six years since it's been out, look at what who Obama is and what he's done and see if I didn't predict that given the story of his life that I chronicled. And he didn't really write about the administration of Obama. But now he's saying things that make he's saying this is the logical culmination of the values and who Obama was. And for example, he says at one point that the Obama administration was a failure. And it was a failure because they did not do anything in Syria after saying there would be a red line if the Assad dynasty was producing weapons of mass destruction. It was a failure because in light of where Ukraine is now, the first aggression took place during the Obama administration, both in the Donbass and then in Crimea. And you can make the argument that that was a direct result of Obama's general weakness abroad, but also his reluctance or failure or absolutely rejection of sending javelins or other any offensive weapons to Ukraine. And more importantly, that hot mic in Seoul where he suggested that if Vladimir didn't cause him pro pro problems during the election cycle and Vladimir didn't, then he would be flexible on missile defense, meaning he'll dismantle it. And he did. And then once the missile defense was dismantled and once Obama was elected, then Putin went in. And so in that larger context, he was saying that administration and he, and he talks about the Iran deal was a failure, failure. He also said in the biography that he quoted Obama, that he was that Obama said he was lazy. And he said in a couple of contexts, he said uh, when it was kind of revealing because it, he had found quotes where Obama had said that his dream would be in his basement in sweats and just phone in the presidency, meaning I don't want to go. I don't want to travel. I don't want to see people I don't want to like and no more kissing babies and shaking hands. But what if I just ran the country by phoning in? And he said, it's very ironic because that's what he's doing right now. He's phoning into his all of his employees that have populated the Biden administration. That was pretty interesting. He also was asked in the interview about what would Obama be like as a uh, Supreme Court justice. <laughs> he just said he's too lazy. You know, he's just he wouldn't do the work. And and then he referenced his Harvard right. Review tenure where he didn't do anything at the Harvard Review. Yeah, jo the, John Yu has told these famous stories about teaching with him, quote unquote, with at University of Chicago. He was total total no show. Yeah. Yeah. He got a big grant a whole year off without teaching to write about contract law. And what did he do? Yeah. He wrote he got Bill Ayers to help him help, quote unquote. I'm not a conspiracist, so I'll use the word help, write his memoirs, which were not memoirs. They were just fantasies glorifying uh, Obama. So Garrow had gone through that memoir piece by piece word by word and every time there was a person referenced he found that person and what he said in this latest interview six years later was he was he was stunned that all these left-wing people took that memoir at face value 
And they never investigated most of these people. And most of them were just fantasy creatures, or if they did exist, they don't have any memory of what Obama said that they said or did. And of course, he says they did that because they were wedded to the Obama myth that he was this dynamic young black guy that was going to unite the country. So he basically says that the whole eight years now we learn were, were a failure. And that was pretty amazing. Um, what I guess I'm getting at is that Garrow one time, I think, was a socialist and Samuels was a man of left. And now you have these two leftists basically telling the American people, you guys were right. This guy was a total fake person. He invented this whole black identity after growing up in a prep school in Hawaii, raised by white grandparents and a white mother whose black father from Africa had walked out before he was even born. And he was, you know, his name was Barry Sortero at the second name. But before that, um, he even had his mother's name and he created this Barack Obama when he got down to Occidental and he found that there was currency and using an African name instead of Barry. I mean, he was, that's his birth certificate name, but he never went by it. Right. And then he used his Indonesian stepfather's name for an exotic flair, just like he got in big trouble about the birther controversy. And that's touched on in the interview. Uh, he was born in Hawaii, I believe that, but he he brought it on himself because in a promotional jacket for Dreams from My Father, the editor or the bio says, I've seen the jacket, and it says that Barack Obama was born in Kenya. Right. And he let that stand because he thought that made him more what? Authentic. Authentic, <laughs> gen genuinely exotic with that name. Yeah. yeah. So basically, the interview reiterates what we already knew, that a guy that grew up as an upper middle class grandchild of a bank president who was very hardworking, his grandmother, and a PhD, his mother, and who was not raised among African Americans at all, decided at some point in his career to change his name. And then, as he said in the memoir, and that probably was true, that he he sought out blacks on campus and he dumped his white girlfriends and he married Michelle. Yeah. And the, and the, and the discrepancy, Victor, was the 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 Obama story is he was inspired by some um, black play a, a play that was about mainly about black characters. But the girlfriend's recounting was no, they went to some some exhibit in Chicago yes. that had to do with the the Holocaust. Had to no had to do with uh, Eichmann, the, the trial of Eichmann. Yeah, and it was. And there was this nutty anti-Semite, I think his name was Copley or something, and Obama was defending it to her. And she had a family that had helped Jews and uh, I think her grandparents or her father maybe in Holland yeah. during the war. So she wasn't going to put up with Obama's radical chic. Uh, so she basically told the biographer, Garrow, that all of that's a lie, what he said. And she was a professor and she had... She wasn't somebody just to be discounted, and she wasn't a spurned woman. He asked her to marry him, and she turned him down. So it wasn't out of spite. She just didn't want this guy 
this preppy little wimpy guy suddenly becoming, you know, Rat Brown or, or Farrakhan type person with his conspiracies about Jews and everything. So she got rid of him. And of course, that that was kind of like when he was on the campaign trail in 2000, if you remember, eight, he, he gave a talk about the Palestinians uh, down in Los Angeles. The LA Times had the transcript and it was apparently very critical of Israel and pro-Arafat. Remember how they squashed that and they wouldn't release it? I don't think it's ever been released. Yeah. Just, and just like he had a picture of smiling with Farrakhan before the election. And remember that picture of 2006 was suppressed. They didn't. Yeah. That picture surfaced after he was president. So the whole press conspiracy was uh, right. Was this is the him. yeah the same press, George, um, uh, Victor, that looks at George Santos and asks to find and and should. I'm not. This is what they should be. All the minutia of all the hypocrisies, etc. That same press that has this uh, insatiable curiosity about a, a Republican, in a lower level Republican congressman, has zero curiosity about the then president of the United States. In the case of Donald Trump, they're going to have 600 indictments. Apparently, oh they're bragging God. about, and, and yeah. everybody knows that if he were not running for president, they wouldn't have one. Given some of them go back years, and yet. Here's a guy. Another thing that's interesting in that interview with Garrow is he talks about the Russian collusion hoax, and he knows it's a hoax. And he says that people sometimes don't appreciate it. It didn't start in 2017. It started in 2015 and 16. And guess who was president? And guess who was briefed about it by John Brennan, who was one of the perpetrators of it? Right. Barack, Barack Obama. And who was his people in the DOJ? Uh, Loretta Lynch, and what was she doing? Meeting with Clinton on the tarmac so that they could craft a strategy not to charge Hillary with destroying subpoena materials, and on and on and on. Um, there was one other thing of, oh, about Garrow himself. I'm just curious, as, have you ever? Not that you've met every historian in the world, Victor. Have you ever crossed paths with him? No, I never have that I know of. Um, I don't think we traveled in the same circles. Right. He he came to some other fame. I mean, despite writing books that that won the Pulitzer Prize about um, Martin Luther King, but he did he did try try to write. He wrote a, a piece in the I think before the twenty twenty election, my recollection about Martin Luther King and some some documents he had, he had come across yeah, yeah we talked about that i mean that's oh, what did, did okay. that that's what did him in yeah that's what destroyed his ability that book that he wrote about obama should have been a bestseller i mean it was yeah. massive it was massive and whether the public thought it was anticipated whether it was going to be critical or not it wouldn't have mattered it still would have sold but his his sin was that he took some FBI notes that he discovered, and they were not informants' notes. And he made a distinction that when the FBI talked to informants, they had a, a modality or a protocol. But when they did it themselves, and they were direct participants in the wiretap or the investigation, they had a different. It was it was discernible the difference, and he was basically saying that. Not only was Martin Luther King a serial womanizer, but he had been abusive to women, and that had changed his opinion. At that point, 
everybody attacked him. But it wasn't just the FBI. Ralph Abernathy, as I said earlier, where Sammy had said the same thing. And Ralph Abernathy had gone so far as saying the night before he was tragically killed, he had been with two different women at the same time. Right. And there was all this other uh, personal data that he apparently thought was in was critical to his biography, or at least to the story of Martin Luther King, which made him a more complex, tragic figure that, you know, he had been guilty of plagiarism. He was a womanizer. He was drinking very heavily. And yet he was treated terribly by the FBI and the Kennedy administration, which was tapping his phone. Right. And so my, I guess I'm, what I'm getting at, he was persona non grata. That was it. If you and Jesse Jackson went after him, uh, everybody in the everybody in the black community went after him. And yeah. he, here he is. Nobody cares that he wrote a Pulitzer Prize winning biography of King or that he he did. Nobody has surpassed his work on Obama. And he mentioned in the interview, he might be curious about writing a, about Clarence Thomas. Well, you get the impression that he's like a Matt Taibbi or Bill Maher, that he's coming to the conclusion that right. uh, the left devours its own and is intolerant of anything other than the party line that has to be maintained regardless of the ed cracks in its edifice. Well, Victor, we're going to talk a little about uh, maybe Hunter Biden and his and his daddy. But before we do that, I'd like to welcome uh, once more our uh, sponsor for this episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show, and that's AMAC. AMAC is the Association of Mature American Citizens and proudly champions Americans' right to free speech, religious liberty, and the Second Amendment. AMAC also defends parents' rights to protect their children, and it's fighting to restore America's election integrity. With more than 2 million members nationwide, AMAC is pro-faith, pro-family, and pro-freedom. I'm proud to be an AMAC member. I've been one for seven or eight years. I uh, love the magazine. It's a great magazine. comes out six times a year. I encourage our listeners uh, to uh, join AMAC today. And when you do that, you'll be sending the AARP a strong message that it does not represent conservative seniors. So join AMAC today at amac.us forward slash victor that's amac a-m-a-c dot u-s forward slash v-i-c-t-o-r and i like to thank amac for sponsoring the victor davis hansen show and i'm going to play off amac here because this is kind of age related right you can be a member at 50 you can be a member at aarp by the way at any age but you're quote full member at the age of 50. And how old do you think Hunter Biden is, Victor? 50? He's actually 53. So, you know, he could qualify for being a member of, <laughs> of AMAC. And he's he's not a kid anymore. Wow. And um, but, you know, it's strange that he and his his uh, daddy share a joint bank account. I was watching uh, Fox today and, and Daryl uh, Issa, the, co the congressman from um, the Southern California. You, you may have had some yeah, dealings yeah, with him yeah, in the past. Yeah. I saw him not long ago. Yeah. Yeah. He was on and he's like, this is this is weird. You know, why would these two people have a joint bank account of some kind? I, I 
you know, I share, I still pay for my kids. My kids are all between the ages of 23 and 35. And I think four of the five of them, I'm still paying for their phone, you know, so some things that have carried on for 20, 25 years. But the concept of, of an adult sharing a joint bank account with an Another adult child is a. It's just a. Why? A why would thing. that? Yeah. Why would that be? <laughs> it couldn't be that Hunter was putting money in there under his own name, and then Joe was. It could be one of two things or both. That when Hunter had money, he was putting it in there, and then Joe could write checks on an account without showing income, or given Hunter's uh, profligate. Uh, spending habits his dad had to cover and Hunter could just tap into his account. And and, I, and why would Joe have money? Because of Hunter. So Hunter and Hunter's way of thinking, I put the money into the account and so I can draw it out, but I, it's better for both of us tax purposes just to have it shared. And it's highly irregular, but everything about them is highly irregular and you know, when you look at all of this stuff and you look at the left and they are taking, they have 100 indictments and they promise they're going to have 600, none of which would exist if Trump had not run for office. They're all from ancient history, mostly a year all the way back to 10 years. But they they all dug them up because of Trump, the candidate. But you look at all of that intense scrutiny and the machinations in which they will go, evoking an 1870 law, uh, claiming Stormy's civil suit as a violation of campaign uh, finance rules, et cetera. And then you compare it and collate it with, with uh, Hunter Biden, and you have these people that really insult our intelligence, like Goldman saying, I, I have looked at the confidential transcripts, which you haven't seen yet, and I can assure you there are talks about the weather. And it's just, it's an insult to the intelligence. I don't mean that just rhetorically. It is. We're supposed to say, yes, Representative Goldman. So Hunter's with a bunch of business associates, and they're talking about the money that Hunter will receive for the services that he will render. And out of the blue on 20 occasions, Joe pops up and we've, you know, we've got all of these CNN and MSNB, but he was talking about for his son that passed away and he was talking about a hunter and they're close. They have a bond you don't under, can't appreciate, but they just happened to call during the negotiations. And we know what it was about. Hunter says, listen, my dad, if you guys pay me the money and Victor Shokin is poking too deep, I can get the SOB fired. And my dad can, oh, by the way, my dad called up. I'll put him on speaker. Hey, everybody, how's it going, Hunter? How How's it? Hey, what's the weather? I just wanted to pop in. I'll see you. That's what he did. And we're supposed to believe that has nothing with to do with reinforcing the value of Hunter Biden. And, and we know right. that's not true because when joe left the presidency his value dropped in half they cut his salary by half not completely because they knew he could you know be recombobulated as a presidential candidate but it's it's pathetic and i don't know if we're ever going to get justice i don't yeah. think i'm not sure we are because um the republicans have to figure out 
because impeachment no longer is about crimes and high high crimes and misdemeanors, treason and bribery. It isn't in Hunter, I mean, in Joe's case, but it's been so politicized, it's a political act. And so when, at what point, if any, is it in the Republican interest to impeach Joe Biden and get the attention away from what he actually did? or right. And what, in a normal case, you would appoint an independent counsel, but given the record of Jack Smith, given the record of Robert Mueller, getting the ref, uh, record of Patrick Fitzgerald and Scooter Limby, giving Lawrence Walsh and right. whatever that was, a Rangate, there's not a very good record that these people, Ken Starr is an exception, but there's no record that these people are independent. And you might just give cover for a left-wing prosecutor to be appointed by Merrick Garland to, quote-unquote, investigate. Kind of like the the special counsel that's supposed to be right. investigating right. Uh, Joe Biden. How right. can it be that Joe Biden took papers 15 years ago, Trump only two, and Trump's already indicted? And we haven't heard anything about Biden's a prosecutor. Why doesn't he hold a press conference and says, I know there's interest in government papers. There's been indictments. I just want to update you. This is where we are with President Biden. We have three different locations, three different troves of classified documents, three different areas which were not secure. We were only notified of this after the Mar-a-Lago raid when their lawyers came forward uh, and informed us and we're still investigating. They can't even do that. They can't even leak. They leaked about everything but Joe Biden. Yeah. Part of our, I don't know, Victor, I could be wrong here, but part of our maybe problem with seeking justice is uh, here here we are talking about Hunter and he just begs to be talked about. Uh, But uh, I give give you credit, though. You said he was 53. Yes. When you look at those pictures of him cavorting with women. I assume unprotected sex with all of these experienced prostitutes and he's taking crack cocaine and he's binging alcohol. And I can't believe he's still alive. It's amazing because he looks, remember that picture when he has filed down teeth. Right. And then he's, his teeth are capped now and he looks, he looks normal. And so the Biden family and look at Joe, I mean, for all, I mean, for all the things Joe has done, it's a pretty amazing that these guys are still around. Yeah. Physically, if not. Yeah, no, I mean, pl- plastic, plastic surgery takes care of the surface issues, and Joe's got plenty of that. But uh, yeah, hair yeah. trans, hair implants, plastic surgery, yeah. uh, whitening teeth. Uh, gosh, that Joker <laughs> smile of his. I never forget uh, that debate that he had with. Uh, uh, Sarah Paul Palin, Ryan or, or, or Sarah Palin in 2009 Sarah, and yeah. Paul Ryan in 2012, where he just he didn't answer any question. He just smiled like a joker, interrupted and yeah. just smiled and said nothing. And he was tan and he looked like he was a corpse. And since his face was completely rigid and formaldehyde, but he he always gets by. Joe always gets by. He gets by with lying. He gets by with corruption. He get, he always does. He's really just as Barack Obama did by mastering this persona that I'm a Chicago organizer, a part of the exploited, victimized black community. So Joe got by. I'm just old Joe Biden from Scranton. I'm just an old Catholic conservative boy that grew up poor. 
and I represent the American working class. I'm the Amtrak guy that the cell I, I couldn't even drive, no private plane for Joe. I just had to drive, the, take the train. That was all of that has elements of truth, but it's so fabricated. Yeah. Anyway. Well, um, let us let us uh, pray. We see justice always happens, whether it's in this life or the next. Um, definitely in the next for all of us. But it'd be nice to see a little justice in for Joe, and more so Joe than Hunter in this. So, Victor, um, we should talk about some new polling that's come out um, about Glenn Youngkin, and let's let's get your thoughts on on that right after these important messages. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Before we get on to uh, Governor Yunkin, I would like to remind our listeners and inform our new listeners, and there are a lot of new listeners, Victor, the show keeps growing and growing, uh, that there is an official website for Victor. It's called The Blade of Perseus. Its address is victorhanson.com. I encourage you to visit it regularly. You will find links to Victor's writings for American Greatness and his syndicated column, his appearances, a lot of his appearances uh, on other podcasts, radio shows, etc. You'll find clips there. The archives of this podcast and the Ultra articles. Ultra are the exclusive pieces Victor writes for The Blade of Perseus. Um, maybe if we have some time uh, towards the end of this episode, Victor, we might be able to talk about one of them, the current um, series you're writing. Um, this one's on uh, the, the U.S. is in real decline and one on energy. But you can't read it. You cannot read the Ultra articles unless you're a subscriber. That's $5 to get you in the door and $50 discounted for the full year is a it, it's well worth it and if you are a fan of victor's writings you are depriving yourself if you are not subscribing to the blade of perseus so please do that and as for me i did i think i mentioned civil thoughts earlier but go to civilthoughts.com sign up for the free weekly email newsletter i write for the center for civil society at american philanthropic now amphil where we try desperately to strengthen civil society i turn out um once a week uh, 14 recommended readings here's a link here's an excerpt of articles i think uh intelligent americans and maybe even intelligent canadians and intelligent europeans would like to know about um so uh again that's civilthoughts.com it's free and we're not selling your name to anybody so Victor, yeah, there's a piece um, out from the Daily Mail. Is it time for Glenn Youngkin to get in the race? New Virginia poll shows governor would beat Biden 
in a head-to-head by seven points. DeSantis is tied with Biden in this poll. Uh, Biden is ahead of Trump. Victor, I know many, several of our recent podcasts, you've been very emphatic on who the hell knows what's going to happen in the next uh, few months. I mean, there's so much at play here. But, um, you know, what do you think of the chatter for for Youngkin? Uh, to me, he's been out of the headlines a bit. Um, but yeah, I think what I think that his mention is uh, representative of two things. One, the Republicans are now starting to smell blood with Joe Biden because he's polling below Trump, even or below DeSantis, and now below Youngkin. And so there's going to be a lot of interest in in any Republican candidate, and he's he's going to get lower in the polls. That's simultaneous with not 50, not 80, but 100 indictments of Trump. All of them, in my opinion, are not justified. They're only there because he's running for president. They're, they're, they're evoking ancient laws from the 19th century, anything they can. They promise to get up to 600 indictments with these four prosecutors. A lot of it is highly weaponized. They want to have left-wing juries in New York, left-wing juries maybe in Miami, left-wing juries in Washington, politicized prosecutors, cherry-picked judges, and evidence nullification, and put Donald Trump in jail. And right now, he spent $45 million, but the point is that even if they are all their indictments are successful, many of them, and he's convicted. And even if they're overturned on appeal, they feel it was worth it, not only to dismirch the Trump name, but to make him spend millions and millions of dollars. And he's not talking about the economy or crime or the border or foreign policy. How could he? All he can talk about is day to day, another indictment. And that's the purpose. So in that larger environment, people are looking for an alternative on the right. And then there's this other wrinkle, the anti-Trump, but still the conservative base before Trump had these problems was split between Trump and DeSantis. DeSantis, I think, and I don't know this, but I think some of his advisors said, don't emphasize at the at the beginning your wonderful record in Florida, emphasize to the MAGA base that you're as conservative or more conservative than Trump, so you don't get rhinoized. And so in some ways, the Disney matter, the transgender matter, the critical race theory matter, they were all good issues. And he was he was admirably taking on woke, but he was found himself running almost to the right of Donald Trump on issues like guns, abortion, corporations like Disney. And and to his credit, but I'm just talking about craven politics, just just politics in the raw, just, you know not even nice politics. And what I'm saying is that he found himself uh, who had been the one-time mainstream Republican alternative to Trump and got a lot of criticism from the Trump people that he was a Jeb Bush-like character, which he wasn't. So he reacted to that. And the result was that apparently scared off some of the big Republican donors, none of which are 
for all practical purposes, they're not supporting Trump. Trump is actually a populist candidate with five to a hundred dollar. You, you, everybody opens their email and there's fifty messages. Dear Victor, dear Bill, dear Sam, I, I will be in prison unless you send me twenty dollars by midnight tonight. That kind of stuff. And so, DeSantis. Uh, that was the source of his financial support. And he was trying to fight the reputation that he was a Jeb Bush, which he isn't. So now that he was a cultural warrior, that same group of rhinos that were going with him, even though he was conservative, now are looking for two things. Somebody they feel comfortable with that is conservative, and he's a Wall Street guy, and that's Glenn Youngkin. I don't know to what degree that's an accurate or fair uh, characterization Glenn Youngkin because he's an evangelical, evangelical guy. He didn't have to to go after the people on the school boards. He chose to, and he's very popular and he's very soft spoken. He's very charismatic, right? And he may be the most charismatic of the non-Trump candidates. But it, I, I do believe it's too young. And in DeSantis's favor, I would say that once. He pivoted in the last week away from the cultural woke issues within Florida, and he began to talk about what he would do with the border, what he would do with the economy, what he would do with crime, what he would do with education, what he would do with foreign policy. And then he went out and he started giving these interviews to people who were potentially hostile, Megyn Kelly, Tucker Carlson, etc. He did very well. He did yeah. very well. So I think whatever the campaign strategy was, it's been altered. And I think that's good. So now I think we're in a new campaign. It's still early. And the new campaign is characterized by new developments. And there's three or four of them. Number one, Joe Biden will probably not run for reelection. His, he's failing at a geometric rate. I've been saying that, but now it's transparent. And his family is utterly corrupt. And that corruption is starting to creep nearer and nearer to him with evidence of that. And then the second, Donald Trump is not fighting a nutty prosecutor like Bragg or a civil suit over a potential sexual harassment allegation years ago, or even a non-disclosure form about it. He's dealing with a hard-nosed kind of disreputable federal prosecutor who wants him in jail and is willing to charge him with anything he can, uh, even if he has to, as I said, go back to the Ku Klux Klan statues of the 19th century. That is new to hemorrhage him. I thought, and everybody had thought, that they were going to dangle indictments over his head to give empathy to Trump and wait until they really lower the boom so he would get the nomination and then they would bleed him as a general candidate. That may still be true, but I think in their eagerness, they really started to pre to preempt that. And they want him, they want to destroy him right now. And I don't know if they, th they thought that out, but they may get away with it. And that's new. Well, in that new climate, then people are looking at different candidates and what will happen is Will Young, will, if Youngkin says he's not going to run, but he may run if DeSantis or, I don't know, Nikki Haley or whoever 
uh, don't do well. I think Mike Pence has taken himself out of the race. He's a nice man. He's honest. But when this all came down against Trump, all he had to say was Donald Trump and I had many disagreements, especially about January 6th. But while I disagreed with Donald Trump, our disagreements did not entail criminal activity on his part. And these politically motivated indictments are beyond the pale. And he couldn't do that, Jack. He joined the, the chorus saying that Donald Trump was culpable. And once you do that, then you're saying you're basically, you can say yes, but maybe this, qualify that. But pretty much Pence put him in, put himself on the side of the 600 indictments to come. And that right. is, that's exclusionary. He's done. He's toast. Not that he was viable, but he's toast. No one else has done that except right. that crazy Isa Hutchinson. He's, well, he was toast beginning. They're out, done. Even Chris Christie has been tiptoeing around it. Because the only proper announcement or editorializing or pining on that from another candidate is I'm opposed to Donald Trump. I'm running against him. And I think that I will be a more effective candidate than he will in bringing justice to you, the American people, and restoring one standard of justice, equality under the law. He has been the victim of a witch hunt, but I can't stop it right now until I'm president. And when I'm president, I will stop it for you, the people, and to bring justice to Donald Trump. And when I find it, if there's any indictments that come out of this circus, I will pardon Donald Trump. But I'm in a better position to do that than is Donald Trump. And then that's the only thing. And to the degree a candidate can say that, they're going to be viable. And so I think we're in, we're in chapter two now. It's a whole new race. And I, I, I can't believe I read in American Greatness where I write. I, I see other places that the race is over. It's time to rally around Trump. He's the only candidate. Right. Well, you, and then at the same time, you look at these polls. Today, there was one that says 46% of Republicans think that he's going to be so tied up in legal entrapment and uh, technicalities and indictments and, you know, just He's going to be Gulliver and the Lilliputians are going to have tarp right. and wire and rope all over him. And he's going to be shackled that they don't want him to run. So how can that be? The, the race is over. It's not. It's wide open. What do you and, think about the uh, Newsom DeSantis looming debate that, that uh, I mean, I think it's going to happen. And uh, well, uh, that's going to be Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity offered it to both and they seem to both have both accepted. Yeah. You can't. The standard assessment of Gavin Newsom is wrong. If people say he destroyed your state. Yes, he did. He's a hypocrite. He takes he takes mask off while he orders to you. He he got into the reparations. He did. He took a huge surplus that the government had given us for covid, essentially. And he ran up a thirty five billion dollar debt. He's blowing up dams. He's we've spent 15 billion much of it when he was governor and even mayor in San Francisco. And there's more homeless than ever told. The schools are a wreck. The economy is slipping. People, 600,000 people have left in the last two and a half years. By any fair measure, he is an utter failure. There's Wild West, West train robbing on trains at the port of L.A. And all he can, the 
lack of a forest serious palsy means that our forest goes up in smoke and he puts on a kind of a work vest and gets on gloves and he shows up at a forest fire and rakes it for an hour or he goes down to LA and he picks up two Amazon packages on the ground. That's what he does. However, he's young. He's said to be good looking. And three, he can finish a sentence. And that's something that Joe Biden is not. And he's smug and he lies. So when you go in there, obviously DeSantis has a record. No tax versus 13.3 tax. Higher rated schools versus a mess. No no homeless problem anywhere near California's. No crime problem. Higher GDP. Kept the economy open with no more excessive deaths per year than California. You go down the line, it's it's just much, much better. Superior. People are coming to Florida in the hundreds of thousands. People are voting with their feet to leave California. And when they get into a debate, Ron DeSantis is twice as bright as Gavin Newsom. He will have all the facts at his disposal. Gavin Newsom won't. He will be. But, but Gavin Newsom can be very formal. He yells, he screams, he gesticulates, he looks emotional, he looks good on camera. Right. So you've got you can't underestimate is what I'm saying. Right. Well, and you um, know what that debate's going to be about two things. He's going right. to say, I'm for freedom. The way there's no freedom here in California because of all these regulations. But I'm for freedom. You you're going to take a woman and she 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 she's going to die on the operating table because of you when she needs an abortion. And then there's all these poor people that are transgendered and gay, and you're driving them out of the state. And then you go into the libraries and you censor books. And then can he get in? Yes, I censor books that have genitalia in the sex act. If he can get that in, but that's what that's how he's going to debate. If I was Gavin Newsom and I based my debate performance on what I've seen of him, I would say, well, governor, you're the most repressive state in the world. People are leaving your state in droves, maybe not the people that you care about, but right. people of color and gay people and people that are transgendered that you go after. And now you're going after America's sweetheart, Disney. And what are you doing? You're trying to censor Disney. You're trying to ruin that company. And we don't do that in California. We're live and let live. We let people. That's what he's going to say. It's all lies. Yes. But he yeah. will say it better than I just did. Far right, better. You're right. And he, and find a way to accuse DeSantis of being a racist because you Absolutely. can't have a debate with a Republican. Yeah, no, and, and you know what that's going to say? He said, and John DeSantis is a racist. He really believes people. Think of this. Just think of this. Ron DeSantis said he put into formal policy that blacks were lucky to be slaves so they could get up, could get development skills. Don't listen to me. His own, his own Congress people who are people of color, and even Tim Scott, a main rival, Tim Scott, a Republican, they agree with me, Ron, not you. And that's that's how we. I watch him debate. That's how he does it. And he's he's an effective debater for someone with limited intellectual capacity. Yeah. Well, Victor, we have time. I wish we had more time, but there's a couple of things I had put out here. But uh, I guess the one I'll pick, we'll, we'll save the the ultra uh, series uh, for another time. But there's a headline uh, from the Hill, uh, some new polling about more Americans 
say they can never retire. And let's get your thoughts about that broader uh, issue of of uh, in Americans of a certain age and facing the golden years and how golden they will be or not. We'll get your thoughts right after this final important message. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So yeah, Victor, the Hill um, has a, uh, a piece out today titled again, more Americans say they can never uh, retire. And uh, let's see, in a July poll conducted jointly by Axios and Ipsos, I'm not sure what Ipsos is, 29% of workers under 55 answered a retirement query with, I don't think I will ever retire. Ask why not? Three quarters of the never retire group said they could not afford to stop working. A smaller share said, they didn't want to. I feel a little odd posing this question to you, Victor, after all these you know, years, many, many episodes, especially ones where you talk about, you know, your family and his grandpa, you know, and his, it could be in his dotage, but what's he doing? He's out on a tractor and he's maintaining the crops and the field. And uh, so retire. I don't know, sometimes you think retirement's a luxury. I think we all know all kinds of people who have been fortunate enough to retire early. Then again, you think of guys who are iron workers, and these there are many jobs that just beat your body up. And how can you be? What do you do when you're yeah. sixty-seven at that point? You and why are you work? Well, I'm sixty-nine, and a month from now, on September fifth, I'll be seventy, and. I am working more than I did 10 years ago. I mean, I have a full-time job at the Hoover. I can't afford to, to retire. I write three ultras and two columns. That's 5,000 words a week. I'm just, as I'm speaking right now, right before we went on, I'm doing the uh, proofs page uh, editing for a book I just finished of 110,000 words. I'm going to teach a class at um, one day a week at, Pepperdine. I'm going to Hillsdale, part of my annual visit there. I, I, I can't retire. And why can't I retire? Well, part of it's my own fault that, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't make very much money when I was a professor, but. Uh, or a raisin farmer. Or a raisin farmer. I lost money. And then yeah. I did a lot of things that were uneconomical, like put a lot of money into, um, a farm that was losing money and I put a lot of money into restoring a house that was 150 years old and eight buildings, but probably ro more romantic than economically wise or physically wise. But all that said, the reason that they're, they say that is since Joe Biden came into office, prices on key things like gasoline and bread or eggs or milk They've gone up by 30% totally. He just talks about 6% this year. It's better than 8% last year. But aggregate, gas has gone up here about $2 a gallon. I just filled up yesterday and drove across. It was five fifty-eight, And when I remember filling up at three fifty in California. So people, first of all, if you wanted to go buy a pickup when Trump left office, you could pay 50000 That same pickup, I can tell you, I can swear I've seen it. It's $65,000. So it, it's much more expensive. If you took out a loan, my son has a mortgage out at one point, I think 
And I helped my daughter buy a house just about two months ago. And the guy called me up and says, Mr. Hansen, you're so lucky. I think we're going to be able to swing it for 6.8. <laughs> so 7% and versus 1.8, it's about, for most loans, it's about $1,000 more a month. And when you look at electricity costs and gasoline and natural gas because of this energy policy, and you can, who's going to pay for all these 7 million people coming in? It's going to be higher taxes, more social programs, more entitlements. And how can you in California, how can you make anything when it's 13.3% income tax? And that hit, and even the 10% hits you pretty low at about 65,000. And then we've got Obamacare tax. We've got payroll tax. We've got a federal income tax rate of 39%. So, it's very hard to save money. And people say to themselves, I'm in a dilemma, Jack. This is what the average listener says that's my age or younger. On the one hand, I surely don't want to die in the saddle. I work my whole damn life. I'd like to go spend a week in Florence one time in my life. I'd like to go up to the lake. Who knows? I'd like to, I have dreams of buying a Winnebago and touring the country. They think of that. So they say, I don't want to die in the saddle and then work all that time. And I'm almost 70. On the other hand, they say, but I know so many people who retired at 65 thinking the economy was stable and everything. And now I've noticed they've sold this vacation home or they've sold this car or they're out of money. And they didn't think that it would be this quick. They thought they planned and they retired too early. And so, it's a hard call, but um, I had a mother who was a justice who died from a brain tumor while she was working. And I had a grandfather, you mentioned my grandfather, he was irrigating on a uh, Friday morning at 86. And then he got up the next morning, couldn't get out of bed, he took him to the hospital, he had congestive heart failure, he died that night. So he literally was working till right. the day he died. I think that's what I'm going to do. I, I, if I, I had this long COVID, I think I'm starting to turn the corner and getting better. So uh, I enjoy what I do. But uh, when I was 50, I started opening a 401k a little late. I thought, a late, yeah. well, maybe when I'm <laughs> six, 62, I can go to Greece every summer and lay on the beach or just rent a little house in the Peloponnese. But that is yeah. not, not going to happen. Yeah. And so also another thing that happens is all of us that have had children realize that when we came out of college uh, and housing was not as expensive, there wasn't student loans. So it's much harder for young people to Absolutely. get it and the old idea of the depression era general well we don't want to help you because if we did we'd coddle you and you'd be right. not able to be and that kind of you know my parents if we were sitting on saturday afternoon in the house after you know five days of high school five days of football or baseball practice and then working on the farm when we got home and we wanted to sit and, and watch you know, a football game Saturday afternoon, my dad would say, what is this, an old man's club? Is this the retirement center? You all got comfort chairs? I guess yeah. there's no walnuts to be picked up this fall, is there? I guess your grand you're happy that your 78-year-old, your 80-year-old grandfather is out there picking oranges. Is that what you want to do, sit around, grow fat, 
lazy. So we just, we uh, just, you couldn't do that. We were hiding from my dad. We worked all the time. Right. And that was the idea that you just work, work, that's work. A, but that's why asking you this question, I, I have a feeling the where you, how you grew up, like the concept of retirement was just. No, I mean, I, I, I did hear about it. My father retired to drive my mother around as a judge because she was being asked as the first woman, you know, superior, second woman in the state. And he drove her around and he that was a full time job. But and he also he retired as an administrator and then he went down and farmed. So right. he called his retirement helping us farm. What do I mean by that? He welded every day. He fixed tractors all day long. Yeah. But that, that's what he called retirement. And, you know, it's, uh, I remind me of my grandfather, Swedish grandfather's funeral. Have you ever been to a Swedish funeral? I have not, Victor. No. Oh, my God. You go there and you get all these relatives. I've been to about five of them, my great uncles, my my grandfathers. It goes something like this. If I were to take pieces of each one of them and put them into a narrative, you go there and there's a Lutheran minister just says very quickly. And then they look around and nobody says a word and nobody nobody cries. And then if sometimes the minister will say, does anybody have anything to say? And if they do that, it's a big mistake because nobody wants to say a word. But if they do, they go, yeah, he's, he worked hard. And then another person kind of perks up. Yeah, he worked really hard. And then the third person goes, yeah, he didn't miss a day of work. And then the fourth person goes, oh, yeah, yeah, he worked so very hard. And then it's over. And then the family says, oh, you want to go have coffee at the house? We have some alphabet butter cookies and we got some rice crisp and we'll all go over to the house. And you go over to the house, you, grab, you know, and you sit there yeah. and everybody looks at the wall and they say, yeah, Frank, died. he worked hard. Yeah, Frank was really good with the horses. He really worked hard. <laughs> Just about work. No, no one ever says he was a nice guy. Well, that was the work hard. Well, that that's the quality of your existence, whether you were right. lazy or you were industrious. Right. And that was right. your character. I'm kind of character. So my it drove my mom kind of crazy because she was from, you know, a family that was part Irish and Welsh. And she thought, wow, these guys I've have actually cried at a funeral. Yes, <laughs> yes. And she you know, she was very emotional and right. and they were really stern. And you know, you could be with my grandfather, Swedish, and he'd say, yeah, Victor, you get on the horse and then you get on the horse and he'd ride a horse next to you and you'd ask it. I was a chatterbox. I'd ask questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you'd see him. Let's go kill the pig. Well, what are we going to do? Grant? We're going to shoot him in the head. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he pulls out a gun and blows the, the pig forehead off. And yeah, we, we pull him out of the yard and we hang him up. And then we we butcher him, yeah, yeah. And then you do that for eight hours with him, and he doesn't say a word. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, was crying was uh, not, I don't want to harp on this, but just to round this out, and then we'll re read a viewer comment, a listener comment. But was um, was crying a taboo in uh, yeah, Swedish never, culture? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've never seen yeah. my father cry once, not one time in his entire life. I saw my mom maybe once or twice. Yes. No, 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 no. You don't have no emotion. And uh, I, I really was influenced. I always talk about my maternal grandfather that had the house that I'm living in, but I had a lot of respect 
for my grandfather. I remember when he got cancer, he was 80 years old. He had this huge tumor in his gum and it was from phosphine gas poisoning. He was disabled. He had no lungs. They basically were eaten out for the 50 years of his life. Yeah. From World War One. World War One. Yeah. Yeah. He was in Belgian hospital for a year. He was too sick to come back to Kingsburg, California. And oh gosh, my dad goes, "You've got a big lump there." Yeah, I got a big lump. And he goes, "I think we need to get it cut out, Dad." No, no, we got a big lump. We just let it go. And he says, "No, no, you got to do it. It's going to metastasize. Yeah, probably spread, probably spread." And he said, "I like it here." No. And then my dad goes, "Oh." You know what's going to happen, Dad? It's going to stink. That thing is going to rot in your mouth, and people will not want to be even near you. Oh, yeah, okay, we get it cut out. We'll get it out. <laughs> and then they cut it out. I can remember I was like 15 years old, and my mom goes, let's go see uh, your grandfather, your, uh, your, grand, your dad's dad. I said, why? He cut off his finger. I said, he did what? I was in high school, a freshman. Said, yeah, he was at a grinder and, you know, he's 80 years old. He didn't see and the, the sharpening a knife and it flipped and his hand went into the grinder. So we oh, go to the hospital gosh. where he's sitting there and he's got a big smile. And I said, Grandpa, what happened? He goes, yeah, I got four fingers now. Four fingers. Yeah, no more five. <laughs> Starts laughing. Four fingers. <laughs> I, I had a twin brother who was farming. And, you know, sometimes I feel like he's not particularly fond of me, but I give him credit, man. He he cut off the end of his finger. <laughs> he Dang. put it, yeah, he was fixing an air compressor and the belt went on automatically and it took off. And he turned around and goes, I just lost the tip of my finger. <laughs> well, and so uh, that, that was a whole different code, I think. So yeah. Retirement, right. that's a long excursus on not uh, we're all going to drop in the saddle of people I know. The only time yeah. people I know that are my age of my generation that have retired have, and I mean this without any macabre, they've got cancer or they've yeah. died. I really do not know a person my age, 69, who retired. I don't. And I professors, we had a soft life, at least the latter part of my life was soft without farming. But still, they're not retiring. They're still going in there and teaching. And that's hard when you're 69 to stand up there for two hours and lecture yeah. off the top of your head. And I, you know, I, I was, you know, I, I left a meeting the other day and they said, where are you going? I said, I got to drive 200 miles back to home right away before traffic. And everybody didn't think that was anything. They're, they're all working. They were older than some of them were older than I was. So I think our generation does not going to have the American dream that was promised in the early 60s where everybody was going to retire at 55 and then use a very generous pension to, right. you know, to fish and hunt and take the, your grandkids on vacation. And you were all going to raise your kid. And at 18, they were just going to skip off to college, pay that there would be no tuition, et cetera. And you'd be on, you know, be free. No, no, it's your children are going to be more expensive after they turn 18 because they're going to have student loans and they're going to need mortgages and they're not all going to work for Goldman Sachs. Yeah. I know one guy, Victor, I'm not, I can't, I'll just say, I know a guy and I, I deal with him on stuff He's in his forties and he's got student loan debt of uh, over 200 grand. And frankly, there's just no way out. There is, yeah. it's a, unless you win the lottery, unless you, <laughs> Finds and marries some millionaire's daughter. 
or maybe billionaire's daughter. I mean, I don't know how I, how people get. I, I think people you know, bear, should wake nut. wake up to this, especially on the conservative side. I wrote about it in the Dying Citizen. If you, if you go back there and look at that book, I said when you look at the age of marriage. 23 to 29, the first age of a child, 29 to 33, first age you buy a home, 35 to 39, the number of people buying homes is dropping down. Uh, and the fertility rate as late as 2000 was almost two, 1.9 to two. It's about 1.6, 1.5 and dropping. And a lot of that is the Part of it is this younger generation has material needs that they think are essential. I mean, $300 tennis shoes or $200 sunglasses that our generation would have never even considered. But that being said, housing, fuel, transportation, and real dollars, education are far more expensive than they've ever been. And that's because this economy has been socialized every year we've got a less and less of a free market system more and more of regulators more and more of unproductive people working for government whose main job is to stifle people who are productive and i talk to a lot of people in my community there's a lot of mexican-american very hard-working people and i can tell you i haven't met one that has one job i'm kidding i'm not kidding not mm -hmm. one person that I have met in my town has one job. And I will also say without any detail that about 50% of them depend on cash wages on the weekends right. or going to a swap meet or something. We have the, probably the largest black market economy in the world in California. And everybody yeah. thinks, how can that be? You're the most regulated economy in the world. We're also the least regulated because people can't afford the regulation, so they just ignore it. And so this, I think these got fundamental problems. And that was one thing that Trump really did. He redefined the Republican Party from George H.W. Bush running on greater capital gains tax cuts, which I agree right. with, right. To, to we have to figure out how people have a living wage. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's important. So you're right. You think about the five thousand dollars annual, which I think is low that the Biden Bidenomics has foisted on the typical American family. And and to get five thousand dollars of disposable income after tax, probably. Yeah. After you probably need to have a a, a job that that uh, that pays one hundred thousand a year and and an extra and a year with 13 months in it, you know because it's extra money so it's uh how how does i just don't know how people i don't it's been good to me it's a it's that's why they're working two jobs and that's why that it's cash cash is uh this came is, this came up when i was again i was out writing the book so i took about a 10 mile drive all around these small towns and i noticed something how many cars do you think I found average in front of each house in rural Three? California? No, seven, <laughs> seven. And that was when I drive by, I and they're mostly Mexican-American or people from India are poor whites. But you see, I guess, you know, kids that can't go out and get a house and then the parents and then the grandparents that don't have enough money who are living there and then an uncle or a aunt or cousin who's renting a room or just staying there and i'm it's incredible it looks like parking lots out here with these small old farmhouses so they that's something that we don't talk about the real destruction of the middle class like that's why I, the, you know the 
the chapter I spent the most on the dying sinners was peasants. And I said, we have created a new peasantry. And we have. And uh, Joe Biden has made it so much worse with more debt, higher interest rates, and, of course, inflation. And, and I get he made a desert and he called it Bidenomics. Well, Victor, um, we've got to wrap this up with three things. One is um, you mentioned funerals before. And today we're, we're actually recording on, on Friday, uh, August 4th. And earlier today, I uh, I was I'm the cantor at my my parish, my Catholic parish, or my former Catholic parish that's closed. And occasionally the church has opened up for a funeral for, for one of you know dead now dead parishioners and I sang the funeral mass and today was for David Meese who's 93 but he was a big Victor Davis Hansen fan so God rest his soul I just wanted to mention that well, thank you and, thank you and yeah he's oh gosh he loved you and then um I know people heard your birthday I know there are people who jotted that down September 5th, and I'm I am sure they're either gonna people who are gonna send stuff know, to Hoover or drive by your house. I have not I have not been home for my birthday in 20 years. I always oh, go to, to right, Hillsdale. I, uh, Hillsdale. I have not yeah. had a birthday party or anything in 20 oh. years. I, I'm not saying acting that I mean I just don't think about it anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. in fact, people remind me, hey, did you know it was your birthday? My daughter and, <laughs> and my wife and my son always are very good about it, but it's always like, wow, I forgot it was I had a birthday. Uh, are you gonna and, be in Hillsdale that yes, same yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna go there on the 30th of August um and give lectures and you know, guest teach and interviews. This year I'm not teaching the whole intensive courses that I have for the last 19 years. Um, years. I'll call John Miller up. Maybe they'll they'll find find uh, Carvel for you or something. Yeah, I usually see John when I'm out there. I love Uh, being at Hillsdale. It's like going back into the 1950s. Every time I get there, I I always think I'm I'm away from home too much. But when I get there, gosh, I get there and there's Tom Connor, the historian, Mark Kalkoff, the historian, and my partner, Al Phillip. I always see what Larry Arndt's done within the year that I've been gone. It's usually dramatic, new building, yeah. you know, more I'm gonna faculty. See, I'm going to see him and, and Wilfred Riley and a few others on a week from today. At, you know, someone in Connecticut on the Massachusetts state line in the town of Suffield left Hillsdale, this home that was a replica of Monticello. Um, I, I think I've it was a friend. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I think they're calling it the Blake. Is it the Blake Center? Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, they're having an event there, and I'm I'm going. Well, Wilford Riley's a really good writer. Oh, he's terrific. And what an, I love him. He's a nice guy. Yeah, so Dan Mahoney, the great scholar, yeah. and, and yeah. George Nash, the great, yeah. who's the oh, loveliest I, man on the planet. I, I gave a lecture about the uh, 100th anniversary of Hoover, and I looked and read George's biography of Herbert Hoover. It was wonderful. Right. And, and the Hoover Institution. Right. He's a wonderful. There's all these people that are very brilliant that we don't really acknowledge. They're just out there. Yeah. George, well, they, they, George lives in the area. He, I have to tell you, folks, he's look him up. George Nash. He's uh, he is the Hoover um, historian, you know, the, the not the Hoover Institution, but the president. He's but he, he's also the historian of the Hoover Institution. Oh, of the institution itself? Oh, yeah, yeah okay. absolutely. If you want to find information about the Hoover Institution, you go to things that he's written about the yeah. Hoover Institution, in addition to his biographies. Yeah. You can look about you too, or C-SPAN has speeches. He just, he's just something very lovable about him. So, all right. Anyway, uh, Victor, 
we have people that leave comments about this show on Apple and uh, iTunes. Um, they rate the show. Again, most people, 99% give it five stars. You can give zero to five. Uh, occasionally, there's less than a five. That's usually some Fowler-related snide comment, <laughs> maybe appropriate and snide. Um, and today we have a comment, um, five stars, and a, and a comment from Politico Pete, and it's titled Great Show. And it says, thanks for the amazing show, covers the issue. The mainstream media would rather avoid great balance of different issues. And Victor is such an engaging, thoughtful, and interesting commentator. He communicates in such a calm manner and clearly has respect for the intelligence and insights of his listeners. Thank you, Politico. Pete, for that. Victor, you were ter your usual terrific self today. Thanks for Thank all the, the wisdom you shared. And thanks, folks, for listening. Visit victorhanson.com. Sign up for Civil Thoughts. And we will see you. No, we won't see you. <laughs> we'll be back. We will yes. be back. And you can listen to us again on another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for your patronage. It's much, much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you.